When everyone is on the same page, getting things done at work is easy. No matter what you do or what industry you're in, how you communicate is key. Everything you type is equally important to collaboration, and Grammarly can help. Think of it as your AI writing partner, empowering you to communicate effectively and efficiently so you can make a bigger impact in the workplace. 96% of Grammarly users say it helps them craft more impactful writing. And as the gold standard of responsible AI, Grammarly is your secure AI writing partner that allows your team to make their point and move faster. By understanding your writing and context, Grammarly provides relevant, personalized suggestions. And with tone suggestions, you can navigate even the most difficult work conversations. You can also save time from spending hours editing drafts to just seconds with one click. Sign up and download Grammarly for free at Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcast. Easier said. Done. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. What's up, family? Thank you for tuning in to the Dream Nation podcast. My name is Casanova. I'll be your host, and I'm excited to be bringing to you entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and trailblazers from around the world. Stay locked in with us because we're about to go on a journey that will change your life. What's up, Dream Builder? We are back again with another episode, and I'm excited to bring this to you today because, of course, right now, we all have a dream, but we're struggling to figure out a lot of the times, how do we turn that dream into a reality? And of course, that's the reason why we have this show. And I think today's guest on the show, my brother, Mr. Solo Cisse, is going to be able to help us in turning this dream into a reality, especially if it's focused around business. So without further ado, please help me in welcoming Solo to the show. Solo, you want to go ahead and say what's up to Dream Nation? What's up, everybody? Appreciate you guys for having me. Appreciate it. Oh. Really excited to be here. Absolutely. We're excited to have you on. So let's go ahead and hop right into it. I mean, you have been a part of technology, it seems like, for a couple years now. But let me ask, if we could take it back, when the research that I did and, and what my team found is that you started off and you were playing sports, you played football at uh, Penn, right? You were, you were a lineman there. Where did business come from for you? Yeah. So, I mean, I think I've always had an entrepreneurial mindset, you know, so I grew up West African in, you know, the United States, my parents coming from Senegal and Gambia. Um, you know, I think just in that realm, you just, you either could be, you know, one of three things, a doctor, a lawyer, or a businessman. So like my thing was, you know, when I was six years old, my dad told me, you know what, you got to figure out what you want to be because that's how African parents are. Um, and so business was kind of something that was always in my DNA, but, um, you know, kind of more professionally when it came to, you know, going to Penn, um, and playing Division One football, that was great. But, you know, at a school like Penn and in the Ivy League, they always, you know, push for academic excellence as well as being, you know, strong Division One athletes. Um, and so a lot of my teammates, you know, ended up going down the path of working on Wall Street. Um, and so when I was looking at figuring out what I wanted to do long term or like the different types of careers that I might think about pursuing, um, you know, I created a network of stakeholders, you know, including, you know, mentors, people that were older than me, people in the Penn ecosystem, as well as my teammates. Um, that really helped educate me on something that I knew nothing about. I came from the Midwest, grew up in St. Louis. You know, we don't have Wall Street out there. 
Um, so business really came about, you know, after the fact that, you know, I, it was deep rooted in my DNA and kind of, you know, where I always wanted to end up. Um, but the educational process was something that was definitely, uh, you know, a long period of time that, uh, you know, had, uh, had, uh, had a lot of different touch points along the way. And so my teammates, um, you know, they went to New York for one summer. They came back saying it was dope. It was sick. Um, you know, the lights, the fast New York City, you know, the air, the fresh smell of the air and stuff like that. And so um, I got really excited. And so that's kind of how I fell into it. Got it. That's what's up. So you you decide to listen because I got a couple of my best friends that are from, you know, at least their parents are from Nigeria. They're, they're you know, of yeah. African descent. And we know that that especially the parents and the grandparents, they have the ways that they do things. And a lot of times, just like you said, like you're going to be a doctor, you're going to be something academically for you. Yeah. Like was sports always your thing that your parents want you to do sports? Were they not oh, so much? Oh, my God. Absolutely not. My parents are, especially football too, because my dad would always be like, I don't understand why you guys would put on that stuff and just go hit each other. Like that makes no sense to me. Uh, so my dad was really not messing with it uh, for the longest. I actually picked up football at the age of like 16. Um, so I didn't play sports at all. I was in the books, in the kitchen, mama's boy, um, little chubby African kid that was just really in the studies. Um, when I uh, moved to St. Louis, I actually grew up in um, Kansas prior to moving to St. Louis. And I went to a high school where you were forced to play sports um, because I wanted to make sure that they produced well-rounded students. And so I, you know, had the personality that if I were going to do something, I was going to do it to my best of my abilities. Um, you know, football was the thing that I chose. Um, and so in that, like, that's kind of how I ended up playing sports, but I got it, you know, much later on, I definitely benefited from some of the intangibles that come with like, you know, becoming an individual athlete, obviously you have a certain like size profile, height, um, et cetera. Um, but, you know, outside of that, you know, it was something that I definitely fell into a lot later, but I think my competitive, you know, nature that's inherent to like who I am, uh, made me want to stick with it and do it to the best of my abilities. Yeah, no, and definitely that's, that translate a lot to business as well, right? When you can stay, you can persevere, you can be resilient, you know, you're going to go through a lot of adversity, especially when you're in a startup world, which you have uh, got into. And that's kind of a great segue, which I wanted to, so you get out, you then go on Wall Street. Is that right? You're like a, a, a data analyst. I was an investment banker. Yeah, for investment a banker. couple of years. Yeah, for a couple, uh, for four years, investment banking. Got it. And so why did you decide to get out? Um, I think for me, it became one of those days where I showed up to work and it was no longer, you know, that super exciting job that I, you know, aspired to have back when I was in college and I first found out about it. Um, and I'm just a big proponent of like, you know, you want to make sure that what you're spending most of your time doing, you're enjoying, right? Like your career and something like that doesn't have to be something that's a means to an end. Like, I think, you know, that's the biggest blessing that, you know, my parents, you know, the biggest sacrifices that they made is so that I could look at the world that way. Cause it wasn't always the case, you know, for them, the job didn't always have to be synonymous with something that you're like super, you know, you know, super excited or pleased to be doing. Um, it was a means to an end. Um, at least that's what it was for them. But like, they worked so hard for me to be able to kind of, you know, look at the world a bit differently. Um, and so I definitely say that from a certain level of privilege. Um, but also at the same time, you know, I think for me, you know, there were there were more creative ways to apply the things that I learned, whether it was stuff that I learned on the field, um, whether it was stuff that I learned in the classroom at Wharton, whether it was stuff I learned there at the investment bank. Um, I think my mind is just a little bit more creative than the position or role that I was currently in allowed me to be. And so that's kind of when I realized, okay, like, you know, I looked around to my left, I looked to my right, and I was like, do I really want to be, um, you know, like these people that are around me, you know, do I aspire to have their lives? And the answer was no. And so that's when I realized, okay, like, I, I got to figure out something else. And so that's kind of when the dreaming started. 
Got it. And were you so you started to dream? Was your dad? Did, was your dad in business? Was your mom in business? Because now it goes from just having a good job, right? And one of the more prestigious jobs when you tell somebody, "Hey, I'm an investment banker. I work on Wall Street." The world <laughs> is like, "Ooh, like you know, he's making big money." But what was your what was your parents like when you say, "Hey, I, I don't think this is what I want to do anymore. I think I want to go pursue my own dream." Yeah, I mean, I think for them, my parents have always been super supportive, you know, quite funny enough, like a lot of times, you know, just no matter who you are, you you have parents that may not be as supportive because they think, you know, not because they don't want to be, but because they want what's best for you and what they think is best for you is what they think, right? Like a lot of times that is the case, but uh, my parents are definitely, you know, proud of and, and definitely in a believer in my ability to do, you know, what it is that I thought was best for me and like they, they that was good enough for them. Um, so I think for them, they were really supportive about it. Obviously, they asked me a ton of questions, right? So, like, once you had a decent idea and, you know, you feel like you have uh, something that makes sense to at least them, they kind of let you run with it, right? Like, if I had I told them, you know, something that didn't make sense to them, they would probably have told me straight up, yeah, this, you know, we're, we're all for you leaving this job, but this is not the reason or opportunity to do that um, or the timing, right? And so I think from that perspective, um, that was great. And so, like, I think for them, you know, they they definitely were, you know, really supportive and excited. And, you know, I told them it was kind of the next step, right? Like, I didn't ever really think I would be a lifer, right, in finance. Um, but I knew that I wanted to get a certain skill set, um, go through a certain level of trial and, and, and tribulation in order to, you know, build the, um, you know, build the resilience to to ultimately do something like this, right? Like, that's what Wall Street taught me. It taught me how to be resilient, taught me how to be resourceful. I mean, it honestly just taught me how to to to, to connect with people in, in order to, you know, achieve a, a common goal. That's what's up, man. So walk us through the first 60 days after you decide, hey, this is no longer what I want to do. Did you already have that next plan in place? Like, was it already in yeah. motion? So you had already started it before you left? Or what did that Correct. look like? Correct. Correct. Like, I mean, and, and that's actually a good point, too, because as an investment banker, you're working 90, you know, sometimes 100 hour a week. So like, you know, your personal time is in your leisure time is super valuable. Um, but, you know, I spent a lot of my leisure time in, in, in on, you know, Galaxy and the, the birth of, you know, what it is now and, you know, what it hopes to be. And, and a lot of it is, you know, thanks to the pandemic, like to be able to be at home and like be able to get those time and, you know, those valuable minutes back um, was super, you know, additive to, to ultimately what the vision ended up being for Galaxy. So, um, you know, I was I was dreaming. I was, you know, working with my co-founder, Spencer Dinwiddie. Um, you know, he's the other co-founder of Galaxy. Uh, shout out to Spencer. He just signed a, a nice deal with the Washington Wizards. Um, right. So we're really excited about him for there. But, you know, it was kind of a lot of those uh, different, um, you know, different, uh, you know, conversations that I had, you know, in my free time that really, um, you know, was the, the launch pad for, you know, what we ultimately would build. But um, yeah, no, it was something that required a ton of time and um, a ton of sacrifice. But I'm just glad that, you know, you're starting to, to see the benefits of it. I saw the benefits of it immediately, but it's always nice to get um, you know, validation, you know, from, you know, media outlets or, you know, even just people knowing about your idea. I think it's the coolest thing in the world. Yeah, no, I would a hundred percent agree. So talk us through for anybody that's hearing about Galaxy for the first time, you, you mentioned about the vision. It's cool to now see it becoming a reality and, you know, you're reaping the fruits of its labor for all the sacrifice and hard work that you've put in. Where did this dream come from? Like where did, where did Galaxy come from? Yeah, so I think it came from, you know, Spencer and myself really looking to apply, you know, what, you know, the knowledge and expertise that we had in our respective fields um, to a life that we know a lot about, right? So, like, when you think about the entertainment industry at large, 
Um, you know, the ways in which money flows through that ecosystem, a lot of times is not at the benefit to the creators or the influencers or the public figures themselves, right? Like a lot of times they um, end up, you know, in very inequitable situations. Um, and so what we thought about was a different way to allow creators to monetize themselves in a way that they deserve to be monetized, allow them to take control back out of the system um, or think about it as an analog to the idea of decentralization and crypto and blockchain in general, the whole ethos around it is taking the power from, you know, one specific person or entity and disseminating it amongst the community, right? And so in this case, it's taking the power from, you know, these big centralized entities and giving it into the power of the creators and the artists and all of those people. And so um, what we did is we actually uh, tokenized Spencer's MBA contract. Um, so basically we securitized it and I was previously a securitization investment banker. That was my focus. Um, and we took it and applied it to the entertainment industry. And essentially what we did is we took his, you know, MBA contract, which pays you a certain amount of money over time, over the next, you know, the duration of the contract, brought all those cash flows to time zero. Um, so it's kind of like an asset based loan or, you know, cash advance, however you want to think about it. Um, and then you obviously pay, you know, a certain amount of interest on it. Um, but if you're able to finance yourself at a rate that makes sense. Um, you know, there's definitely, uh, you know, a lot of incentives for you why you would want to do that, right? If you think about the entertainment industry at large, you know, people want to finance their lifestyles. Sometimes they're taking hard money loans and they're paying 20, 30% interest, right? But if the capital markets are willing to lend to you at four, five, 3%, whatever it is, um, that's a winning trade every single time. Um, and so that was kind of the idea of applying, you know, financial principles that I learned on Wall Street um, to the entertainment industry. But we also realized that that, you know, the idea of monetization is much more than that. Um, and so the birth of Galaxy came off of that um, as a way that people recognize that, you know, maybe monetizing your contract is tough or maybe monetizing music royalties is tough right now for people to understand. But what people really know is monetizing their likeness, right? People know monetizing their time. So when you think about the rise of platforms like Cameo, Patreon, you know, these creator platforms, um, you've seen that there have been creators that have been able to make a lot of money off of connecting with their fans in more intimate experiences, because that's what the fans want. Um, and so that's when the birth of Galaxy as it currently is structured, um, you know, came to place. And we're a one-stop shop for creators to monetize themselves. Um, you know, the same place that you go to get a video call um, with an influencer like we are having right now should be the same place that you go to buy their exclusive content. Um, and then obviously the blockchain component of it, um, you know, you should be able to buy NFTs and digital collectibles because that's where the market's going. And so um, that's kind of the whole story and the genesis of, you know, how we get from, you know, end of 2018 to, to, to now. Wow. No, that's so fascinating. So much I want to break down. So it sounds like you already had a relationship with Spencer uh, prior. Like, so you've known him for quite a bit. Yeah, Spencer's a family friend of ours. You know, I think, you know, in this uh, ecosystem, we are all athletes. Like, that's, a, that's the beauty of our company is that we all kind of understand this target demographic of what an entertainer is. Because um, a lot of times, you know, in a lot of ways, we kind of are, right? Like we're tangential or, you know, we are them. Um, so, yeah, he's, uh, he's, uh, he's been uh, the family for a long time. Got it. And the reason why I asked that is because I'm, I'm curious to know, did you approach him on this? Did he approach you and say, hey, I just got a contract. I see you've been doing some things in the investment world. What did that look like? And I promise there's a reason why I'm asking this question. No, for sure. No, I think, you know, Spencer is, you know, he's a very forward thinking guy. Um, so he was kind of thinking about ways in which that he could, you know, really democratize his presence as a platform because he's an influencer himself, right? Um, and so it was kind of through that and he was thinking about, well, what if I did something like, you know, my contract or something like that? 
everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Um, and so really, it was, it was really kind of started like that. But then I was kind of like, okay, well, like, this is how the legacy market works, right? Like, this is how this stuff works in, you know, in principle. Um, you know, these are the considerations you got to think about, right? Like, you got to think about liquidity, right? Like, you have to think about the fact that, like, a contract is a much more, you know, a much smaller tranche than, you know, something that would be a, you know, a residential mortgage-backed bond that could be much, much larger, right? Like, Fidelity doesn't want to buy that. BlackRock doesn't want to buy that. Right. So you got to think about who's your target demographic and understanding that sort of nuance with it um, is kind of like what I brought to the table. But um, it very much so was like, you know, him just being like, how can I be different? Um, he's always been like that. Got it. And the reason why I was asking is because I think that, you know, Galaxy sounds like a really, really dope app, right? And it's definitely innovative, right? And it's, it's going to help to revolutionize, just like you said, for a lot of entertainers. Um, but for a lot of us, we have these types of ideas, but and we maybe know a person or two of influence, whether they are a celebrity or, you know, an athlete or even if they're just somebody that's pretty wealthy because, you know, obviously they got a lot of family money or something. But we don't know a yeah. lot of the times how to approach. And just like you said, there's a lot of other things behind it. And if you didn't come from Wall Street, if you don't understand investment banking and and uh, securities and things like that, how do you get your, you know, your message out there to that person to where they one would take you serious, but two, you know, they would want to partner up with you. Yeah, no, that's a great question. And so for us, you know, that's kind of the whole idea of like, you know, pivoting from like a purely securitization financial play um, to something that people understand. People understand social media. That's what we spend most of our time on, unfortunately, um, in a lot of different ways. But, you know, we spend almost too much time on it. But like, in all seriousness, like, you know, we spend a lot of time on that. And so, you know, going to a, you know, LeBron one day and be like, hey, I want to securitize your contract. Like, that's something that's like, you know, we're not quite there yet, right? Like, the world doesn't think that way. Um, but, you know, monetizing your time, like I said before, is what people recognize. And so, um, for us, like, it's been very key building something that would be palatable, especially when you add the complexities that come with blockchain. Um, it needs to be something that could be well received by the intended audience, right? Um, you know, if we wanted to build an app that was meant for you know traders of crypto and stuff like that, a lot of this explanation, explanation would be, a lot of this would be ex- self-explanatory. Um, but I think from the idea of um, you know having a platform um, that is meant to touch different discovery audiences and you know people haven't looked at this stuff before, it's insurmountably important. Um, to be able to have a platform that makes sense and can be received to them. And so that's hence the reason why we think about, you know, we want to be mentioned in the conversation with, you know, the cameos, the Patreons of the world, um, but be the gateway product from that world into the world of 3.0, uh, Web 3.0, um, where you have different possibilities. Got it. No, that, that makes sense. And I know there's some people out there that's listening. I always love to make sure that we can, you know, explain it, dumb it down as best as we can. And so for yeah. somebody that's hearing about, you know, securitize or blockchain or something like that, what's your easiest way to explain it? Or how do you define it? If you're talking to, let's say you're talking to me and I've never heard of blockchain. I'm like, I don't really understand how this works. Explain it to me how you would explain it to someone else. 
Yeah, I mean, I think the the way that we, I think the way that would make sense is like the fact that in the developed world, mostly, and like in all the world right now, we've always leaned on the endorsement model, right? Like credibility of like an institution or being able to point to one person to be able to, um, you know, cite, you know, good faith is how we've lived our lives, right? So like when you go about a bank, right? Like you want to wire a bank from one, you want to wire money from one bank to another person, right? Like from your bank account to somebody else's bank account, there's a centralized entity in between that transaction that sends the money and validates that transaction, right? Um, but you're, what you're at the risk of is you need to be able to point to that guy and say, I trust that guy to not mess with this transaction, right? Um, but the beauty of ethos about tech, uh, of blockchain technology is that the community in aggregate um, is trying to be the ones that validate the transaction in aggregate, right? So you think about the idea of like going to a third world country where you can't necessarily, you know, or the undeveloped world rather, and you know, you may not necessarily be able to trust that centralized entity, right? But when you build a blockchain or you build a network where, you know, each computer is really trying to, you know, win that next transaction, that randomness, um, is what allows you to be able to say that you can't point to that one person or that one person. And there's a lot of incentives to avoid fraud and things like that, um, because everyone in the network will know um, you build a much safer, more secure network um, that is going to be a lot more seamless. And it's also a lot faster because of that, right? So I think the idea of it really is like the idea of, you know, if you want to explain how Bitcoin's network works, it's very simple, right? You know, in order to redeem, you know, in order to validate the next transaction, a bunch of computers on a network, they're called nodes, they guess on a math equation. Um, and whoever's able to solve the random math equation um, gets awarded that next transaction. So that randomness is what I'm pointing to before. You can't point to that person, you can't point to that person and say that they're the ones that did it. That's what makes the network secure. The more nodes that are doing it, the harder the math equation gets, the harder it is to validate transactions. There's no way that one person can control that network because there's tons of different computers. Whereas like, you know, big banks, they can control the financial world as it currently stands. And so we're at the mercy of those different things. Wow. No, I, I love it. I love the way that you explain that. So do you find as you are, because you obviously can't go to banking banks for like funding or things like that, because obviously you're trying to uh, decentralize what they're doing. So you're kind of a competitor to them. So when you are going out, because we talked a little bit before air that you've been able to raise, or at least just one round, you were able to raise seven and a half million dollars for a round of funding. How were you able to raise that money? Was that a lot of the playoff for you and your network, or was it? Did you? Would you say you got blessed because obviously being partnered up with Spencer and you know his credibility that he has? Yeah, I would say that definitely helped with it, right? Like even the securitization itself as a proof of concept point that like there's something here um, was helpful to get the investment community behind us. But um, you know, I think a lot of it has to do with the authenticity of our story, right? Like we're not too you know middle aged you know, white men in Silicon Valley with another idea, right? Like we're creating something that makes sense for people that we know directly. Like when we deal with these influencers, like Spencer and I are the ones recruiting to these influencers directly to our platform. Like we know them. So like when we have, you know, people like Ezekiel or Matt James, like joining the platform, I'm talking to them. I'm not talking to their agents. Um, you know, that's what kind of makes our business very unique in that way. Um, and so I think that authenticity factor is what allowed people to be like, okay, like these guys are actually building something that they know intimately about, right? Um, and then also when I think about, you know, blockchain and stuff, um, you know, you bring up a good point, like the legacy financial world is going to have some aversions to this, the, the adoption of this technology, right? Because if, you know, you're a bank and you're like, oh crap, I won't be able to, you know, directly make money off of this transaction charging fees because it's direct peer-to-peer, -peer, you know, that is a, a, a very big problem. But 
Um, you know, what we've seen a lot is that world is just, you know, it's something that's inevitable. The people want it, right? You've seen it in every single different example outside of blockchain, right? Like when you think about AMC and GameStop and like these hedge funds getting screwed over by individual retail investors that in aggregate are more powerful than these big entities. And like people realize that now, right? And so when you realize that we as a community are more powerful than any centralized entity, it's a very powerful message. Um, right. And so I think because of that, like those, those legacy entities are like, okay, we got to find a way to get paid some way in this ecosystem, right? Like it's inevitable, it's coming, how do we get paid in it? So that's what we're starting to see a lot of. Um, and then lastly, you know, the, the investment community in the crypto side is massive at this point, right? Like, um, you know, a lot of people made a ton of money off of their bets, you know, way back then, um, off of Bitcoin, off of, you know, Ethereum. And um, there's a lot of money in the space. And um, we got a lot of, uh, you know, investment interest from them, too. So we got investors, you know, from influencers themselves that were high net worth individuals that could afford it. Um, you know, the legacy, you know, financial world and traditional VCs are like, this is a technology that's going to be here no matter what. We might as well get with it. Um, and then on the crypto side, um, we had, you know, a lot of people uh, support our project from there as, you know, one of the first crypto projects that, you know, the average person might actually understand. Like people understand influencers, people understand social media, people understand, you know, monetizing your time. So um, we were very blessed in that way to, to have the holistic, all the pieces together. Yeah, no, that, I think that's a great explanation. And you broke it down for us. So I think somebody could definitely understand it. When you be in an investment banking world, and, and this is something that was new for me, you know, a little bit about my story, right? But I mean, being as a young black man, and, and I think for a lot of people, regardless if you're black or whatever you are, but definitely if you're black, you don't understand the concept of leverage, right? It's always bootstrapping. It's always you got to use your own money. And I know this is how yeah. I kind of grew up. And so, but then what you find, or at least what I found, and maybe you've seen it to be different or seen it from a different perspective, is a lot of the times we are, we don't know how to leverage other people's time, resources, and money, right? And so in the investment banking world, was that drilled into you right away? Or like, how did you really start to understand the concept and the power of raising capital? Because a lot of people yeah. don't, and I think that that's why their business never gets off of the ground. Would you say so? Yeah, no. That is, that is absolutely, that couldn't be truer. Like, I think, you know, even myself, like too, like, you know, from growing up in an African household, we were always taught to not have debt, like for the reason, like you don't ever want to be able to have somebody point to you and say, you owe me money, right? Like that's right. just how my parents were, right? And, you know, I think that aspect of it is true, but the whole idea of capitalism in America is it's built on that, right? So like going back to the securitization example, there's so much, you know, potential opportunity for every single aspect of it, right? Like if you're a person of interest and you signed a big contract, um, you and but you don't have money in your pocket now, but you want to finance your lifestyle in some way, shape, or form, there are far more efficient ways to to go about having that, right? Um, and so when you're able to finance yourself at a you know an interest rate um that makes sense, you could you could create massive wealth creation, right? Like if you make the right bets, right? And if the markets are efficient, which a lot of times they are, if you're gonna originate something. If you're financing yourself at 2%, you got to find a private banker that can beat that, right? Like you can find a private banker that would beat that. And if, you know, the power of compounding, we all know that we've heard it, um, you know, being able to bring things to time, not that time is worth something, right? Um, and, you know, on the opposite side of it too, is like when you start to open those opportunities for investment based off different structuring. So like, you know, you have things like Reg A, where you can have average people, you know, in you know, retail or like Reg CF and things like that. Um, sorry, Reg CF, where you could have regular people investing in, um, you know, different, you know, types of investment opportunities, um, you know, that might alone might allow people to have access to different, uh, you know, different investments that they might not ordinarily have access to. 
Um, so the idea of just like, you know, the idea of, you know, leverage and all of these different things it benefits a lot of people, right? Because, you know, as an accredited investor, you have the opportunities for those 100x, you know, returns, but those aren't afforded to non-accredited investors. But, you know, there, there are certain things that you can buy, you know, as an unaccredited investor, um, but there's some other certain things like if you could buy a, you know, a publicly verifiable, like riskless asset, like a contract securitization, um, because it comes from the MBA where money's all guaranteed, you know, there's, there's, there's a trade-off of, you know, and, and massive wealth creation on both sides. Hmm. Man, that's, it's so crazy. I'm fascinated by this. And the reason why I say is because I was actually just having a concept or a conversation with a buddy of mine. This is two weeks ago because me being in real estate, obviously, you know, it's a lot more comfortable to try to raise capital for a tangible yeah. asset like real estate. But when you're trying to raise capital for something that's more on the VC side of business, that's a vision. And maybe, you yeah. know, what does that mindset have to be like? Because if you if you don't even have a prototype or maybe you just have a prototype, but you don't have any sales or proof of, you know, a concept from your, your clients. How do you get your mindset around? Hey, I can still pitch yeah. people on this and raise capital. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a that's a great question. And, you know, just for context, like I worked in a real estate tangential market as a securitization investment maker focusing on, you know, residential mortgage backed security. So like I totally and commercial mortgage back too. So I totally understand where you're coming from. And, um, you know, you're absolutely right. Like it is that is the biggest hurdle that we ever faced, right? Like, how do you get people to believe the vision? Like, how do you believe that one day it makes sense for LeBron James to be publicly listed? right? Like, how do you get the world of like being able to tokenize a person? That sounds crazy, right? Like, right. sounds crazy. I could buy into this person. Like, what does that even mean? Right? Like, it doesn't make sense. And so I think for us, what was super beneficial is like, I got to just give it to my team. Like, I have the best team that I could possibly have internal and external. Like, we have great advisory board. Um, you know, we, we all together were able to paint a vision um, that was able to, you know, take, you know, the, the dream um, that we had and, and, and really run with it and make it something that is tangible, right? You know, because at the end of the day, like, um, no, you can't touch it, but the idea is something that you can feel and you can see it, right? And so, like, I think the biggest art and the biggest piece of advice are, even if, not that you really asked for advice, but, you know, for people who are It's good. I'm like, sure somebody um, wants to hear it, for sure. Yeah, the biggest piece of advice is, like, if you can find a way to, you know, for your intended audience to hear the information that you want and receive it in the way that they can understand it, like, you'll go so many different places, right? Like that's the biggest hurdle, right? People that don't understand blockchain, like why does it need to exist? Answer that question for them in your pitch, right? Like people that understand like, you know, why do I care about, you know, hanging out with, you know, XYZ celebrity? Explain to them that there are people that do. Prove to them why, right? Like that's the that's the biggest thing, right? And so once you're able to answer those questions, and, and lastly to your point too is like, you know, real estate's a bit different because you can obviously see the opportunity a little bit more because it's like right in front of you. But, um, you know, a lot of times that by the time people see the vision that you're talking about, it's too late to make that crazy return, right? So like, you know, as an investor, you got to take those bets. And I think people are starting to realize that. And so, um, you know, with the market, you know, being where it is and some people are taking more risk um, and stuff like that, rates are super low. And so like in terms of raising capital at this point in time, you know, we, you know, finding that extra, you know, yield creation, uh, that wealth creation, that extra, um, you know, return on an investment at this point in time, you got to take that risk just right now based off of where rates are. Um, so I think those are those tailwinds. But again, like the biggest piece is everybody's got to be a great salesperson. Um, and you got to be able to answer the questions that these people are looking to, uh, you know, have answers to. Yeah, no, that's a 
Is, and, and another thing that I was I was thinking about in this conversation, uh, or it came up in the conversation I was having with my good buddy, was he was like, you got to understand that these people have the capital anyway, and they have to deploy it somewhere, When you, mm-hmm. especially when you start talking about accredited investors, right? So, you know, once they can see it, and they're looking for ideas to be able to, just like you said, to get those returns, but you just got to be able to answer the question of why does this need to exist? And I think that exactly. that's something that's very small, but very powerful. And we never think about that. We don't even ask our question. We don't even ask ourselves that question in the beginning. We just have an yeah. idea and we're like, oh, this would be really cool. But like, why does this need to exist? Because like yep. you said, there's Cameo. There's a lot of other things uh, already. Right. But how can you be the, the centralized platform? And it is absolutely crazy to think that one day we could be buying a piece of LeBron or Steph Curry or something absolutely. like that. Like it's Absolutely. It's crazy, but like things too, right? Like it was crazy a year ago thinking that people would be paying absurd thousands, tens of thousand dollars for digital art, like NFTs, right? But people are doing it, right? Like, and that's kind of like what we're saying here. And like, we've been in the space long enough to, to, to be blessed to see the evolution of that product. But, um, you know, tokenizing things are what people are doing, but we're, our bet is that we're going to tokenize people. And we think that's what's going to be next. Right into like NFTs, the boom happened and the market's still, you know, pretty hot. Um, but, you know, I think that next market is going to be, you know, kind of tokenizing people and the intertwining of those two things um, is going to be very interesting. So that's what we're really excited about here at Galaxy. No, that and that's super dope. And we're definitely going to jump back into uh, Galaxy. But the one last question I have on this is when people are investing and in, like, do you go after your family and friends or because you know that there's so much of a risk Right. That like they could lose on this thing that you're like, "Ah, I like to stay away from them. I like to go accredited investors that I don't really know. It's just black and white. It is. It is a great question because it does. Because, you know, from my previous life, there's a lot of people that, you know, wanted to support me and my vision. And ultimately they did. Um, But, you know, it was never something that I really fully extended, you know, to myself, you know, out to them because it's tough. Like, I think for me, like as a founder and, you know, anybody that's a founder that, that their validating point is I believe in your idea. That's worth more to me from somebody that I know than, than investing dollars on some days, not every right. day, but, but some days, um, you know, that having that validation is super, super important. And so like, for me, a lot of the people that reach out, like, how do I invest in this and stuff? I kind of was like, yeah, you know, I appreciate it. Like, you know, I, I appreciate it. You know, thankfully, you know, we've been in a situation where we've been able to raise money so we don't need your contribution, but people were like, you know, I actually want this wealth creation. Like you're going to hold out on me. And it's like, okay, like, if that's what you want, like for sure. And so like, I think it's a, a very interesting thing, but you know, also, um, you know, at the same time, like, we just have so much, you know, this is such a community movement here that we have, like we're doing this with a hundred and you know, hundred plus of our friends that are creators that are looking to solve the same issue with us on this journey. So um, we've gotten participation from, you know, some of those higher net worth, higher net worth ones as well. And so, um, yeah, like, you know, it was never the thing that when we started raising money, we're going to go reach out to our closest friends and family to start. But, you know, ultimately, they, they wanted to join the journey with us. And, um, you know, we uh, we were able to make that work. But it's a very interesting question that you ask because it is tough. You don't want to you, you, it's, it's a tough, you know, balance to, to, to really find, you know, trying to raise capital and raise as much as possible. But at the same time, not really you know dig too much in your own pockets or your pockets or networks. Yeah, no, absolutely. And do you, so when you're having these conversations, does it ever come up that yes, you could lose money or because you're dealing with a lot of high net worth accredited individuals, they kind of already know they just read over the contract and, and it is what it is. 
Yeah, I mean, I think everybody really knows, and especially in the regulatory environment that we are in now, like the idea of consumer protection is really big in the eyes of the SEC and different governing bodies, right? So all the docs that we have are super, you know, very, very upfront and clear that this is a speculative investment, like be prepared to understand that this is not something that is guaranteed to make you money or anything like that. Um, you know, that's kind of those things. And so I think a lot of the people that we've dealt with, you know, predominantly they are accredited investors. Um, you know, so I think from that perspective, we didn't really have to answer that question a lot. Um, but, you know, it, it certainly is one of those things where like, you know, especially the people that know you like, like, so like, they, they, they ask you very quite frankly, like, you know, what do you like, what do you really think? Like, what do you think, you know, in your gut and heart and soul? And it's like tough to not to, you know, like to the moon all the time. You know, every right. single time. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I think from that perspective, you know, people don't really ask those questions because, you know, the documents are usually uh, pretty, you know, forthcoming about that. And we are as well. But, um, you know, we've been lucky enough uh, to, to have great uh, support the entire way. That's what's up, man. Uh, so, t- so Galaxy, back onto it. Um, what's the vision in the next three years? Like, where do you guys want this thing to go? Where do you, you know, where do you see it going? Yeah, I would say that we want to be synonymous with the idea of personal monetization. Like, we want to be the standard. We want to be the vanguard. We want to be the guys in the room that um, are viewed at the guys helping the entertainment industry and entertainers themselves monetize themselves to the full capacity. And that's for every single type of creator. Um, so whether you're an NBA player, an NFL player, or you're an Instagram influencer, or you're a TikToker, we want all of those people to think about Galaxy as the one-stop shop for them um, in their personal monetization. Um, I think in terms of the product aspect of it, you know, like I said before, you know, the social media aspects of it um, are super important. But ultimately, we want to be known as a gateway product into the decentralized future. Um, if we could be known as those guys that help demystify blockchain and apply it in a way that made sense and was really cool to the average person where they started learning and using the technology, that'd be great. Like, I think the, you know, the, the, the people that we look up to and uh, me in particular is like, you think about those companies like Apple, you think about those companies like Tesla, um, you know, supremely capable, you know, great technology that you don't have to know how it works, but it just does, you know, ultimately at the end of the day, like that, that's what sells and that's what's super important. That's what life changing is. Right. Um, you know, the idea of Uber and how they changed the way that we think about stuff, right? Like thinking about it this way, right? Like, you know, there was a time that like when it was 2 a.m. and there was no cars around, no taxis, like, or public transportation, you were fresh out of luck. Like you couldn't get out where you were going next. Like you were just stuck waiting until somebody was around. Um, But Uber told us you didn't have to live that way, right? Um, And the same thing with blockchain. Like I went to go buy a car as soon as I moved to Los Angeles. I moved here about a month and a half ago. Um, you know, just a, you know, full tilt galaxy and all that stuff. Um, and, you know, I went to the bank to get, you know, the, the cashier's check for the down payment and it was closed and that was it. The bank was closed. So I had to right. wait until the next day to go out and get the money to give to the dealership. But there's technology out there where you can send it that type of money as fast as a text message. It's far more secure and much quicker. Right. So I know that. And so like, for me, it's the craziest thing in the world. But the thing is we as a society, like when the bank was closed, it was closed when your grandma went, it was closed when your grandma's grandma went, right? Like it was just closed. But you know, ultimately what we're starting to see is people are starting to change that consumer behavior and start asking those questions about whether it needs to be that way or not. And so from my perspective, it's like, you know, if we could be known as those guys that help change the way that we think and you start changing a generation, the way that people, you know, live their lives, ultimately more impactful than any amount of dollars and zeros obviously that stuff comes with it but um you know that's the idea of being you know true visionaries 
Yeah, no, man, that's a solid, solid explanation. And I love the, what you said, like, we want to be the personal vanguard, right? Because that's the standard, right? You, you want to be, and, and it's something that I think any big thought leader, any big dreamer, they can understand that and, and the persistence and the resiliency that you've already went through and that you'll continue to go through. It's definitely admirable because obviously we all got a dream. And so the fact that you've stayed on this dream and uh, now you're just putting in more work behind it, it, it lets everyone know that it's only a matter of time. And just like you said, being blockchain, when you think about things like that, that is an inconvenience, right? Going to the bank and it's not open or, you know, whatever it might be. Think about even, you know, on a smaller scale, how convenient Venmo and Cash App and things like that mm-hmm. have become for us, right? I know we were just down at Nationals for basketball um, for my son, and um, that we got to the place and it was like out in the middle of nowhere. But long story short, they didn't have an ATM or anything, and they only took cash. And so then yeah. my wife was like, "Hey, can we just Venmo you?" And the guy was like, "Yeah, that's fine, and, and I'll give it." But right, but five years ago we wouldn't have been able to do that, or maybe seven years yep. ago. And now you just yep. you would have had to wait on somebody to come through the door that could borrow you some cash. Yeah. Yeah, no, exactly. It's, it's, it's crazy how like, you know, the world changes over time and we have these technological advances that, you know, push our thinking in the envelope a little further. And, um, you know, it's kind of crazy. Like, ultimately, I remember when Bluetooth was a thing, like I, you know, I was right. a kid and Bluetooth came around and people were like, this is weird. Like, why do people like, I got AirPods in, but like, you know, 10 years ago when people had those like earpieces, I was like, dude, you look like such a nerd. Like, that's so weird. Um, but like, you know, now that it's, it's commonplace and that's just, you know, how it is. And so I think, um, you know, ultimately that's, uh, you know, that's what any founder, you know, really wants to do to try to change the world. But, um, you know, that's uh, ultimately what we could hopefully try and, uh, you know, start, um, you know, over here on Galaxy. Yeah. Let me ask you, and, and this is something that you mentioned earlier. You said, I've been blessed to have great mentors. Um, obviously, you got a great co-founder. Um, but now that you're you're gaining a lot of traction and you have competitors out there, is it easy to reach out to people who, when you you know you say like a cameo or something, are those people receptive of you? Is there like a founder network, or do you find that you have to go find people that are maybe outside of your niche or your industry, but just understand what it's like to be a visionary to maybe help you? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a combination of both. Like, I've been blessed to, you know, have great, you know, mentors throughout my entire adult life, um, you know, ended up on Wall Street because of it. And, you know, actually, ultimately, you know, in a lot of ways, like, you know, uh, your your founder, you know, your founders, like your co-founder could be a mentor, like sometimes a mentor to me, in, you know, certain aspects of this whole journey as well. Like he taught me about blockchain, you know, I taught him about finance, but he taught me about blockchain. Um, and so I think from that perspective, that was key. And, um, you know, going back to, to what you're saying about the, you know, founders network, I think, yeah, absolutely. Like in your space, especially in crypto and, and blockchain, it's a very, very niche space um, at this moment in time. And so I think from that perspective, um, we've benefited a lot from people wanting to look out for each other in the community because we're all pioneers in the space, right? Like we're all early to the space. Um, you know, it's not the space, you know, not the earliest in the space with crypto has been around for 10 years, don't get it twisted. Um, but, you know, we're still relatively early, early in the whole product life cycle and adoption of, you know, the technology. And so people are very open and the whole nature and ethos about, you know, blockchain technology, it being open source in a lot of situations is, um, you know, collaboration. Um, so we have great partners and, and the whole the whole network there is just how can we work to better together, better together. Um, you know, versus working against each other or better, you know, separately. Um, so I think that's kind of like how we've been able to, you know, end up with um, a lot of great supporters for our project. That's what's up, man. 
for as wise as you are now, and especially over these last three years, everything that you've learned um, on Galaxy, um, I always like to ask the question if there's anything that you would change. But when when I ask that question, the the uniform answer that I seem to get is people say, I wouldn't change anything because it's made me who I yeah. am. And it's like, yep, yeah. I understand. Even though I call a little bit of BS and we would all change something. But I've yeah. learned how to phrase this in a different way. So if there was one thing, knowing everything that you know now, if there was one thing that you wish that you would have implemented sooner to accelerate yep. your path on your dream and where you are at least so far today, what would that one thing be? Um, I think it took a little bit longer than I would have liked to realize that I was just you know, not all that happy doing my previous job, like taking a risk and, and doing stuff and just really, you know, at the end of the day, people will always tell you, you would be great at this. And like I said, you know, we live in a society where we just love you know, being validated by others. Um, and so I think from that perspective, I knew for a long time that I didn't want to, you know, you know, didn't want to be in that life. Um, but for a lot of reasons, whether I felt like it wasn't the right time, whether I felt like I just needed a little bit more time, like, you know, I needed to jump out, um, and, you know, pull the parachute, um, and hopefully it opened. Um, and so, you know, like that kind of was something that I wish I would have done a lot earlier, just believing in my own, um, you know, vision and my own, you know, belief in my own self, um, to, to ultimately take that next step. And so that's kind of the one thing I wish I would have done sooner is just, you know, really listening to myself. Um, and instead of, you know, being fixated on what other people might've been saying or what other people said I should have been doing. I love it, man. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, I want to be the first one. If nobody else has told you today to say thank you. And I appreciate you, my brother, for coming on and blessing the show. Um, we'll make sure that we put all of the links to galaxy and everything else that you have going on in the show notes. But for anybody who wants to stay directly connected with you, tell us, where can we find you at? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, you know, I appreciate you having me on the show. Definitely would love to connect with anyone that's interested, you know, whether it's finance, whether it's blockchain, whether it's about being African, you know, whatever it is, uh, being black, we'd love to love to have the conversation. But yeah, no, I'm pretty active on social. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Solo Cise, S-O-L-O-C-E-E-S-A-Y. Um, you can find me on Instagram at Solo.Cise. Um, and uh, find me on LinkedIn and, and all other platforms as well. But, you know, obviously would love uh, and welcome any more conversations. But um, appreciate you having me on the show. It's been great. Yeah, absolutely. Well, just as he said, Dream Nation, uh, we all know that we all have a dream. But if you don't take action on it, if you don't truly just believe in yourself, and, and uh, hopefully this story shows you that anything is possible, right? If you have integrity, if you have a dream, and you're willing to, you know, jump out and just pull the parachute and, and pray, Pray if the, if you got to bet on something, and we all are betting on something or someone, right? If you got a job, you're betting on that boss or that organization. So if you got to bet on something or someone anyway, why not bet on yourself? But more importantly, you got to take action. That's all for this one. We'll catch you on the next one. That's all we got for this episode. Thank you for sticking around. That truly means a lot to me. And hopefully that means that we delivered massive value on this one. If you haven't already, the way that you could say thank you to myself and the team is just by heading over to iTunes and leaving a review and a rating. That's what iTunes loves to see. That's how we get out there even more. And I would definitely, definitely be grateful for it. I know the team would as well. Do me a favor and head on over to dreamnationpodcast.com. That's where you're going to be able to find all of the resources that we talked about in today's episode, as well as more exclusive content. And you'll also be able to sign up to our email list where we have more exclusive content. And we always love to hear the feedback from you all. 
because you're our tribe. So remember, in the dream we trust, we'll see you on the flip side. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.